0: Order going on, and um, this is the she'er on the book of Yeheskel. ben uh, Mendel As I said on the book of Yeheskel, we're in chapter 11, and we're in, in verse 19, which is really one of the most complicated verses in the whole of Yeheskel. Um, I'll just repeat the the verse to you. It's at a stage where Yehezkel, after four chapters of, of visions of destruction of the temple, has been given um, words of uh, comfort, words of uh, consolation by God, that at the end of the day, uh, at the end of days, everything's going to be fine, the Jews will return, um, and there'll be a messianic era, etc., uh, etc. Et and God says in verse 19 to Yecheskel, I'll give them one heart. In other words, there'll be unity among the Jewish people. And a new spirit I will place within the Jewish people. Uh, And here comes the difficult words. I will remove their heart of stone, from within their bodies. And I will replace it with a heart of flesh. Now, that statement um, is universally regarded as a statement about the fact that at the end of days, the Yates hurrah, the evil inclination, will be removed from humanity. And all we'll be left with is the Yates set up. And we had a Gomorrah. Just to recap, we had a Gomorrah in Brochus, uh, and I mentioned at the time that if the Gomorrah hadn't said it, then I certainly wouldn't be able to say it. That the in prophet says that um, the idea is that uh, God, so to speak, across various prophets, admits, makes an admission, that the fact that people sin is partially his fault. Um, and the Gemara brings three verses, one from Micha, um, the Apostlech says, Micha says in God's name, that God caused the Jewish people to do evil. Another verse from Yirmiyah, which says, Hineka Choma Biyad HaYotzer, something we say on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, we are like, um, like clay in the hands of our Creator. And, uh, and the Posakhir, Bahasi Rosi, Eslei for even mip sarchem and Osati Lochem, Lei That at the end of days, God's going to replace the heart of stone, which is the Yetzar and all that will be left is a leib basar, a heart of flesh, and uh, meaning that the Eitzara will be removed from the Jewish people forever, or from humanity forever. And um, this this issue that, uh, so to speak, God uh, is, so to speak, admitting that he's partially to blame uh, for the Eitzara is explained by the Marsha, which I explained to you last time, is that Although the yekta tov, the way the human being, were, human being was created in the creation narrative, in the first and second chapter of Voracious, <clears throat> although the, ju- the human race were created with the capacity for good, and that was intrinsic to them, the ability to do good was part and parcel of what their essence was, human beings were not, didn't have an intrinsic evil inclination. That had to be inserted. We know the story of the snake. Um, in the, the creation narrative, the snake is the Yetzirah, the inclination to do evil. And that was external to Adam. It was external to Chaba, Um But eventually, uh, humanity um, evolved, so to speak. I don't really like to use that word. But the Yetzirah was, so to speak, uh, inserted at birth. Uh, after the human being was uh, uh, gestated in the uh, uh, womb of a woman, just before birth, the, um, the Yetzirah, so to speak, which is not intrinsic to humanity, was inserted by God to give the human beings free will. And as a result of that, it's not really the essence of what a human being is. And God admits that. God admits that on that basis... He is partially to blame for the fact that human beings sin and the fact, fact that the Jewish people have sinned continually, uh, through the ages. And which is a, a very, very difficult philosophical issue for us to deal with. And it, it becomes even more problematic when we look at the story of Noah. And that's where we got up to last week. Because in the story of Noah, uh, we saw that the God destroyed the world with a flood. And after the flood, we have these two verses, which are very strange, that they came out of the ark, Noah and his children and all the animals, and the Torah says, this is in Baratheus in chapter 8, noach He came out of the ark, and Noah built a, an altar to God, and he took some of the animals, the kosher animals, and from the kosher birds. And he brought burnt offerings on that altar to God. Uh, and God says, uh, the deposit says, God smelled the pleasant aroma, not literally, God doesn't smell uh, things, but uh, it was acceptable to God, this, this offering that Noah brought. God, so to speak, said into his heart, Lo osif lakal ol i will no longer curse the earth but avor ha because of man ki lay ha ra minurof for the inclination of man's heart is to do evil minurof now the word minurof literally means from his youth and god says below osif odlahakosas kol khai kasheosisi i will no longer i will never again Destroy all living things, as I have just done. Now, Rashi, on that postic in, in, in Noach, looks at the word minu Urov that odom ra minu urov, that the nature of a human being is to be evil, minu'urov. Now, we translated the word minu'urov from his youth, but Rashi tells us over there that the word minu'urov is written strangely, there's no vob in it, there should be a between the nun and the aleph, and therefore it doesn't literally mean from youth. It means from the embryo. Min lena min is an expression of or Means to shake, to to want to emerge. When the baby wants to emerge uh, from uh, in labor, at that point. As the baby wants to be born, is ready to be born after nine months, after the gestation period, at that point, God's Rashi says, at that point, God inserts the Yetzara into the baby as it's born. So it's an extric- the baby is already fully formed, and it has no Yetzara. At the point of birth, God inserts the Yetzara into the newborn child. And this says the Marsha, who who discusses our Gemara, the Gemara in Brochos, says this is exactly what's um, what we're talking about here. That the really the heart, uh, the heart of man is like stone. In other words, they have this propensity to do evil, but it's not intrinsic. It's inserted. It's external. It's something that's placed in a human being before it's born. And that's what it means. And God says, uh, so to speak, um, I'm not going to sh- destroy the world, because Ki for Ram in because of me, because I, God, inserted this external this external um, inclination to do evil, into every human being at the point where they are being good. Uh, so that when human beings sin, it's not an inherent act that defines what they are. What they are doing is unfortunately surrendering to an external force that God inserted into into them, into their being, that allows them to either defy these evil urges uh, and make the right decision and become godlike and be rewarded for doing so, or succumb and embrace their evil urges and act in a wicked fashion, and be punished for that based on those free will decisions. But either way, those actions that a human being takes, whether they're good or evil, don't define him. They're not intrinsic to the human being. The intrinsic nature of a human being is good. Evil doesn't define what a human being is. Evil is what is inserted into a human being before it is born. So, there's an obvious question here, which is what the question I left with you last time. There's an obvious question on this explanation as it relates to the story of Noah and as it relates to what's going on here in Yechiskol. Was it only after the flood, uh, which took place 1656 years after the creation of the world, and after God had wiped out humanity, that God, so to speak, finally realized this notion that man is only ra min urah that man is only evil because or partially because of god because god inserted this external evil and inclination into him before he was born and therefore god promised never to destroy the world again because man couldn't be held fully responsible for his actions because as rashi said god himself had inserted this Yetzirah in him before he was born, that seduced him to sin, and man's essence was not evil after all. And the question I left you with last week is this. Why didn't God apply this logic before the flood? Remember, God's just destroyed the world. It's only after he's destroyed the world, and Noah and his children have come out of the ark, that God says, you know what? I'm never going to destroy the world again. You know why? Because... Men are Ramin Urov. Men are evil from the moment they're born, in brackets, because I inserted a Yetzarah, an evil inclination to them. On that basis, I'm not going to destroy the world again. The question is, why didn't God use that logic before He destroyed the whole world in the flood? Why didn't He say before the flood, you know, really, I should destroy the whole world for the behavior of the, of the human race? But the reality is that, uh, other Ma' Ramin Urov, I'm partially responsible. I'm the one responsible for the Torah, at least partially responsible for their actions. And therefore, I am not going to destroy them in the first place. But God didn't do that. God destroyed them first. And then he says, I'm not going to do it again. I've just realized they're not totally to blame. I'm partially to blame. This doesn't seem to fit in. It creates a paradox. And um, it seems that, you know, based on our passage here, in Yehezkel, uh, God says that at the end of days, he admits, For he roast, he lay Yeah, at the end of days, you know, that heart of stone that I put inside of you, that Yetzara, I'm going to remove it. But uh, And I'm going to return you to what your essence is. A heart of flesh. A heart of flesh, a heart of goodness. Uh, uh, you'll only be left with the tov, the inclination to do good. So this is the question that uh, rankles here, Uh, why on earth did God bring the flood in the first place? If the essence of the HRI is not intrinsic to human beings, and God is partially responsible for everything, every evil action that a human being does, why did it take a flood for God to recognize this? Why didn't he recognize it before the flood came and say to himself, I'm not going to bring a flood? Because they're not totally to blame. I'm partially to blame. It's only after Noah came out of the, the ark and brought sacrifices that God decided, right, I'm not going to do it again. I recognize now that I'm partially responsible for the way they behave. And therefore, however bad they get, I'm never going to destroy the world again. That's the question. That's a question that's raised by many Jewish philosophers. And um, I'm going to tell you the answer. And the answer is very surprising. And the answer is very important in terms of the way we look at ourselves. And, uh, the way we, we have to deal with God. I mean, dealing with God is very difficult. The, the, the Rebbe said, uh, like 160, 170 years ago, uh, something very profound. He was talking to his shamus, and, uh, this was the first Gera Rebbe, the Chidushi Harim, Rabbi Yitzchok Meir of Ger, and he turned around to his shamus, and he said to him, he said, you know, in 150 years' time, the world's going to be exactly the same as it is now and um, people are going to come to shul, people are going to go to the yeshiva, people are going to learn learn Torah, it's all going to be the same. There's just going to be one missing ingredient, one missing ingredient. So, the shamus, the, the Ger Rebbe Shamus says, Rebbe Vos Maitman, what do you mean? What's going to be missing? So the Ger Rebbe says, the only thing that will be missing will be God. Right. Well, the only thing that will be missing will be God. So the, the Shaman says, what do you mean? He says, because we go to the base of Medrash, Med, we go to the Yeshiva, we go to Shul, and we daven, and we have a relationship with God. He says, in 150 years' time, people won't want to deal with God. People don't want to have, won't want to have anything to do with God. God's too problematic. Dealing with God is too problematic. They'll be happy to go to Shul, they'll be happy to learn some Torah, but don't bring God into the equation. Leave God out of it. And to a great extent, he's right. You know, we don't like to talk about God. God's too complicated. Leave God out of it. Let's just dab into God three times a day, run away from shul as quickly as we can. We've done our duty. And, you know, if something is troubling us, so we, we ask God, but generally speaking, we go through our days and we don't really give God a second thought. And... Um, the reality is um, that the whole essence of our lives is uh, intrinsically connected to God. So, the question here is, what was it? What, what changed God's mind here in the story of the flood? That all of a sudden, after the flood, that uh, God decided, um, even though he's God, so to speak, partially responsible for every evil action that a human being does, because he's responsible for the creation and insertion of the Etarah, uh, he's not going to destroy the world again because he accepts partial responsibility. And the answer is this, that the posset says that as soon as Noah got out of the ark, Vayal Olos, Noach brought burnt offerings. Now, Olos, burnt offerings, are offerings that uh, are brought on the Mizbeach, and they're totally burnt. Um, and uh, most Korobonos, most offerings that are brought on the Mizbeach in the base of Migdosh, so, it's split. So, some of it is burnt on the it's as, because it's, so to speak, a gift to God. Some of it is given to the Kohen Godol, or the Kohanim. And some of it is uh, uh, attributed and given to the person that's bringing the, the sacrifice. The olos, the burnt offerings, are different. An Olah, a burnt offering, is completely burnt. It's completely legvoah. It's all for God, so to speak. It's an expression of... When you bring an Ola, a burnt Offering, it's an expression of total submission to God. It's an expression of total submission to God's service. And it's an expression of total submission to God's service without any expectation of personal gain. An Ola is um, the human equivalent of altruism. You're doing it just because you want to please God. You're doing something not with the expectation of receiving reward, you're just doing it because you love God, because you want to be connected to God, because you want to serve God. So, say the Mephorishim, and it's the Rambam, and uh, the uh, Seferi Korim, all the great philosophers in Jewish history, make this point. So, that while it was true, and obvious, that God knew, and that God knew, and that God appreciated that Yetzir leiv ha'odom Ram min that human being, the essence of a human being was not really evil. It, the only thing that made a human being evil was the external Yetzirah, the external evil incarnation that, that God inserted into him at birth, that a human being has to struggle with all his life, and that to a certain extent, um, Uh, God is therefore partially responsible for every act of uh, evil or every sin that the human being commits. Nevertheless, Noah was the very first human being in history to demonstrate that the external Yetzirah could be completely overcome. He'd just seen the destruction of everything and everyone he ever knew. He's just seen the destruction of the whole Yakum, The Torah describes it as a Yekum. Some, some hold that the whole universe was rewritten. The whole, the, the engrams of the whole universe was rewritten. And he came out to a strange new world. All the people he knew were dead. Everything was, uh, destroyed. And you'd think when you, when you walk out of the concentration camp, so you've got two possibilities. You, know, you can either turn around and say God doesn't exist. This, thing, this type of thing can't happen if there is a God. Or you can come out and have the opposite uh, belief, that this is all down to God. And Noah's approach was, when he came out and saw the devastation, that he recommitted himself completely to God. He brought an olah, An olah is a burnt offering, completely to God. He submitted himself to God's will. And at that point, so to speak, God said to himself, wow, wow. There is a human being, there is a human being that is capable of suppressing the Yitzhara. For the first time in human history, there is a human being here that can see such devastation and see such terrible, such a holocaust and yet come out and say, bring an Ola and be completely Complete, completely submit himself to the will of God without any expectation of anything being given in, re, in return. So, what happened here, say, our uh, sages. Noah, by dint of his free will decision to defy his Yetzirah, his Yetzirah was telling him, what do you need with God? Look what God's just done to this world. Well, you want to serve a God like that? A God that's just destroyed millions, hundreds of millions of people and all the animals and destroyed this beautiful planet. You want to serve a God like him? And Noah says, yes. Not only do I want to serve a God like that, I want to completely submit myself to him. Says God, oh, I've found one. After all this time, after 1,656 years, i found the prototype. This is the human being I was looking for. A human being that has got the ability to overcome this external evil inclination that I put inside every human being. He's got the ability to overcome it, dedicating himself to God, and prove to me, says God, that the human race has got a future. After all, if Noah, after seeing all the devastation of the flood, comes out of the ark and dedicates his, his future to the service of God by Yal Olaf. He brought burnt offerings. Despite the Yetzirah telling him to blame God for the t- t- cataclysm, the Yetzirah was very strong in Noah. So look at this God. Look what he's done. An evil God. And yet Noah completely overcame that. Says God here as a human being is now maturing up to warrant a future. The human beings that come from this, this particular human being, They warrant a future. Their descendants warrant a future. And that's the message of God to Yecheskel in these verses here. Um, and, And they appear to us in a very strange version, in a very strange order. Because in this chapter, chapter 11, God gives us an insight to the future. Because in verse 17, we're dealing with verse 19, but if you go back to verse 17, God says amin. This is the ex- after all the expressions of of destruction that are going to befall the first temple and Yerushalayim and Yehuda and the exile and the famine and the disease and the plague that's going to affect the Holocaust that's going to affect the first um, the generation uh, that live in first temple period times when it's destroyed. We're in the three weeks now. It's that's the time when we think about these things. God says, despite all that, despite all that devastation of the destruction of the first temple, despite all the devastation of the destruction of the second temple, despite all the devastation of Jewish history over the next two and a half thousand, two thousand, two and a half thousand years, the persecutions, the, the Crusades, the Byzantium Christians, the Muslims, whatever it is, all of it. Nevertheless, Vikibatsky eschem mino amit there'll come a time when I'll gather you, God God says in this chapter, as a message of consolation, I'll gather you from all the nations, and I'll collect you from all the lands you've been exiled to. That's step one. Step two, also in verse 17, I will give you the land of Israel which, that's the era we're living in. Now the Jews have got the same test. The Jews of our generation have got the same test that Noah has had. Noah came out of the ark and he saw the holocaust of the devastation, the cataclysm of the whole of humanity being destroyed. We have just emerged from the crucible of 2,000 years of persecution and we've been given back, as God says here to Yechezkel the Nostati lochem esad Yisrael, in verse 17 I'm going to return you to the land so we're at the point here we've been here 74, 75 years, we're at the point here now in the land of Israel in the year 2023 that Noach was in, when Noah came out of the ark which way does he go? What do, he's he's free and easy. He's been returned. The waters have left. The flood's finished. Those that are dead are dead. Those that are alive are alive. The world is his oyster. We've we've been returned to the land as well. We're in Noah's shoes here. What do we Jews do with our newly acquired freedom, our return from exile, our our autonomy in the land? We have just been brought back from the brink of destruction equivalent to the brink of destruction that Noach felt. Noach saw the flood coming. Noach was in the ark. He must have thought, he was there, and he must have thought, at any minute now, this ark's going to turn over and we're going to be dead. that's he's a human being. It would be only natural to think that. But just like the Jewish people, or just like Noach, the Jewish people have emerged. They've come out of the ark. How will we react? What's our, what's our reaction gonna be? So God says, here, in our chapter, God says, step three, which is verse 18, when you arrive back in the land, if you Jews discard all the paganism and sexual immorality from the land, in other words, if you, if you, if you replicate Noah's submission to God, and it says in verse 17, You remove all the detestable things and all the abominations you brought with you from. You've been two thousand years in exile and all the nonsense and rubbish and, um, it, all the, all the customs of the nations you've lived among for two thousand years. When you come back here, what are you going to do with all that? Are you going to keep that, keep keep hold of that? Or are you going to do what Noach did? Are you going to dedicate your lives to me? Because if you dedicate, if you do what Noach did, then I'll never kick you out again. Just like he says by Noach, he saw what Noach did and he's never going to destroy the world again. The, the argument to us is exactly the same. I've brought you back to the land. I've taken you out of the ark. I've taken you out of persecution. What's your reaction going to be? If your reaction is the same as Noah then you can read verse 19 with pride because verse 19 says then what will I do says God in verses stages 4 and 5 benosati God says if you do what Noah did and submit to the service of God and you submit to me and without any expectation of anything just because I am your God. Then God says, I'll give you something you've not had for 2,000 years. Unity. And you'll, you'll be, for the first time, in 2,000 years, a new sense of purpose. You'll have a new sense of purpose, just like Noah did when he came out of the ark. And the point is we we have to strive to be a Mamlachas Koan in the Kadosh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God will make that happen because uh we will be the light unto the nations because God says Hasi rosi lay forever because if you come out of this cataclysm and your behaviour is the same as Noah, Hasi rosi lay forever, and then I'll remove that heart of stone. That propensity that I inserted into humanity at the beginning of time to do evil. I'll remove it. It won't be there anymore. And all you will be is a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh implies when people give their hearts to other people. A people of kindness. People generous. People united. United in a common cause. And the common cause is to keep the Torah and to worship God. And that will, re- if every human being on the planet has, has his Yetzirah removed from the, uh, the lay forever, then the world will have universal peace, as all the prophets um, prophesy. Uh, and that will usher in the Messianic era, and there'll be no need for a Yetzirah. So here we are. This posse, this verse 19 is all about us, the Jews who have been returned to Israel in the 20th and the 21st century. We're in Noah's shoes. We stand at the crossroads of history just like Noah did. Noah made the right decision and on on that basis God says, Right, these are human beings I can work with. I'll never destroy humanity again. We're at exactly that same crossroads the next move is ours. God is waiting and God's very patient. God is waiting to see whether we have the ability to accomplish step three, to take the jump that Noah did, to defy the Yetzirah, to come back to the land of Israel and say, we're here not because of political Zionism, not because of anything political, not because of anything. The reason why we're here is because God's returned us, and God's returned us for a reason, so that we can fulfill our destiny. Our destiny is to be our mamlachas Kohanim, ve'goy Kadosh, a kingdom of priests and the holy nation, and Orelai Goim, a light unto the nations. And if that's what we do, so what, what, what follows on from that is complete unity, a new spirit, a new sense of purpose, a Ruach Hadocha, and the removal of the lay for heaven, the gates are and the world will be in a state, the state it was at the time before Adam and Chaba were ejected from the Garden of Eden. So, that is a, a, a much deeper understanding of this verse, uh, which is reflected in many of the uh, 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 philosophers, Jewish philosophers throughout the ages. I've given you a cross-section of the way they look at this. But essentially what I've explained to you is the way they understand the story of Noah. I'm sure it's, uh, I don't know, um, it, maybe it's something that you've never listened to before. But that's the connection here to this verse. This verse, these verses in, in chapter 11, verses 17, 18 and 19 are a road map to the Messianic era that we're right in the middle of, because we are the generation that has been returned here. And now, we're the generation that has, that has left the ark, having witnessed all the devastation of human history, and now the boots, the, the, the balls in our court. Yes, Mark, you want to say something? Sure. No. Uh, I, this is the point that Yecheskel is being told. You don't have to wait for You, you don't have to wait for the Mashiach. Well, you, you tell me. You're living in the land of Israel. You tell me what the problem is. You. you so, Well, this is, this, is the prob- this is the problem, it's not just them, it's not just them, it, it, it's not just people out protesting, it's the fact that people are at least partially corrupt, it's the fact that the, the things about this country that are not correct, the way things are done in this country that uh, um, are contrary to what God wants, absolutely, um, but we must be doing something right because we're still here right we must be doing something right because we're still here and um, I mentioned I mentioned, uh, I, I actually don't agree with you because we don't have a sense of what it is that's pushing the project forward we've got no idea where the project stands in other words We live 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years if we're lucky. We don't know the status of God's project, how far down the line it is. But the very fact that we've been returned to the land of Israel at this point in in history is indicative of the fact that the prophecy of Yechezkel here is starting to unravel. Is not unravel, it's starting to come to fruition. That exactly what Yechezkel is being told here has happened. That we weren't returned, we weren't returned here because we suddenly became very from. No. God said, I'm going to return you. I'm going to return you to the land. I'm going to put the onus on you. So the onus is on us. The onus is on us to do, to do something. We've had plenty of opportunities, as you pointed out. We had the first temple period to do it. We had the second temple period to do it. We had the, we, we've now been returned to the land of Israel in the 20th century. Now the onus is on us on us to do it again. Now the point you make is a very important point that generally, generally speaking, um, generally speaking, we we mess it up, but that doesn't negate the fact that we've got the possibility and the potential and the and the ability to correct it, if necessary. God will force the correction on us, as we'll see later in the book of Yehoshua, but that doesn't take away from the fact that we've got the ability to do it. We have got the ability to change, to change our nature, um, and uh, we, the very fact that we're in the state that we're in now, we're in a, a heavily polarized society, why, is, why are people disappearing from the shear? Like two minutes ago, there were 10 people here, now there are seven. What's, is there something wrong with the Internet connection? I don't know. but people are disappearing from the shear. Sorry, um, okay, so th- that is, that is, that is the process. That, so the process is that God will, will give us another opportunity, and, and the opportunity here is begging. The opportunity came in uh, the beginning of the 19th, the end of the 18th century, the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. God's just returned us. There was no, uh, it was like out of the blue. Like, who would have expected at the end of the Holocaust for us to be returned to the land of Israel? Well, God says, I'll do it. Yeah, you yeah. um, know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to return you to the land of Israel without any conditions. That's what he's telling. He says, we keep the I'm going to gather you in. I'm going to give you the land. No conditions attached. The only conditions attached are when you get there, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the land of Israel when you get there? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be the people from the first temple period? Are you going to be the people from the second temple period? Or are you going to be the, uh, the new Jews? Are you going to be the Jews that I want to see? Are you going to be Noah? Are you going to recommit yourself to God? That's the question that faces every Jew on the planet. Every Jew living in the land of Israel. And that's the question. I. I Mark, I have to move on because uh, you're not correct here. At this point in time when he came out of the ark that's what he was. It's it's later on that he becomes very much like us. He becomes disillusioned. At the point when he came out of the ark he was not disillusioned. It was only later that the Torah describes him as Farmer Noah. Old Farmer Noah. He, He planted a vineyard and he got himself drunk, and he became disillusioned. But at this point in time, the moment he came out of the ark, and uh, he was released, so to speak, and he saw the devastation that had gone on around him, at that point, the Torah clearly says that he was completely and utterly committed to God. Later on, he became, you're quite right, he became disillusioned. Ishwa Adomo, he didn't even describe him as a tzaddik, or... Tom Mim, or anything else that was, he was described earlier on. But I need, I need to move on. If you want to continue this discussion, I'm quite happy to discuss it privately with you uh, in email. But we need to move on um, to the next, t- towards the end of this chapter. Um, so, what, what God's got an expectation. Um, God's got an expectation of the Jewish people that He's explained to Hezkel now. Um, And God now describes in in verse twenty the process to get from step three to step four and five. How how do you change centuries of misbehavior and living among um, and living among the nations and picking up the bad habits and the assimilation of living among the nations for two thousand years and suddenly becoming what God requires of you, so that God will, so to speak uh create unity in the Jewish people. How do you how do you how do you cast aside two thousand years of exile and all the baggage that goes with it? So he he says Yeskal is being told here the process to get from step three, to get from the point where you come to the land of Israel and um, the return uh to get to the point where the end game, the messianic era takes over. So, he says, There's a there's a process. There's got to be an acceptance by the Jewish people that when you return to the land, that you've been returned to the land by God, that there's no other force involved here. The miracle of the return of the Jews to the land of Israel in 1948 had nothing to do with the United Nations. Right? They were just a tool, just like the Babylonians were a tool to have a... Um, to have us uh, exiled, um, just like the Romans were God's tool to have us exiled, the United Nations were a tool to have us re- reinserted into the land of Israel. There has to be this recognition. Verse twenty: mm-hmm. in all of The In order that you follow things that you don't understand. Bechukosai, a chok is something you don't understand. How 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 is it possible we've been returned to the land of Israel? How is that possible? impossible in the context of Jewish history that this would ever happen you've just got to accept you'll accept it even though you don't understand it you've got to come back understand that it was God that brought you here and keep the Torah you and they will be um, my people then I will be their God. Though, though, that is not negotiable. Um, and, but the problem is that this verse here seems to create a bit of a contradiction with the previous verses. Because first God says in verse 17, I will ingather you. I'm going to ingather you, all the Jews. No conditions attached. Then God says in verse 70, 17, I'm going to give you the land of Israel for eternity and then God says in verse 18 then as I just explained that once we return then the onus is on us um, to remove uh, uh, our pursuit of our desire which is in the modern context it's materialism and sexual immorality as the prophet says Uvo kol utsel, that's verse 18 and then, in verse 19, which we've just spent so much time on, it says, if we achieve that, if we manage to cast aside all the nonsense, all the baggage we've picked up, all the assimilatory baggage we've picked up over 2,000 years in exile, then, I'll create unity in the Jewish people, and they'll have a new purpose. God, Will remove the Yetzirah from, the, from, from humanity, in, in, uh, uh, introducing a, an era of world peace, uh, which we know as the Messianic era. Era, and the question is this: If we go through all these stages, with the end result being that our Yetzirah has been abolished, then isn't it obvious that the end result would will be that everyone in every Jew, everywhere, will keep the Torah because after all if the Yetzer is removed from a human being then that essentially means that a human being has got no free will and all that he's got inside of him is a Yetzer which is the urge to do good and if all a person's got is in, inside him is the urge to do good it's going to be impossible not to observe the Torah So this verse here seems to be redundant because God seems to say, you know, when you get back to the land of Israel and I do all these things for you and you cast aside all the, all the, all your interest in, in money and wealth and sex, sex and drugs and rock and roll and concentrate on serving God, then I'm going to get rid of the HRR. I'm going to bring the Mashiach and I'm going to bring unity and all the good things and peace on earth. I'm going to do all that. And then you'll keep my Torah and you'll keep the you'll you, you you you'll you'll keep my statutes. And as the Ababa now says, that's obvious, isn't it? If the if the Yates R.I. is taken away, if the evil inclination is taken away, then obviously everybody's going to keep the Torah. There'll be no choice. There'll be no Yetsarai telling you to go to the football game, to go to the pub, to go to the to the strip club. There won't be a Yetsarai. So why does he have to be told, why do we have to be told in this verse that, you know, then, I'll expect you to keep my Torah? So, obviously we'll keep the Torah. There'll be no alternative. So this is the question that the Abarbanel asks. And listen to his amazing answer here. This is an amazing answer of the Abarbanel. Hinehu, does everyone understand the question? Just before I go on. I don't understand why people have gone. People have just disappeared from the ship. maybe they're not. They're not. Does everyone understand the question I'm asking here? Sorry? Okay. So. You want me to repeat the question? Okay. Now, the question that Baban asks here is, look, God's made a list of requirements, or a list of, uh, of things that are going to introduce the Messianic era. First, God says, I'm going to gather you in from the nations, from across the world. I'm going to give you back the land of Israel. Then the onus is on you, as we discussed in the last verse, to get rid of all your all your nonsense, all the nonsense you've brought with you from exile. All the fascination with money, the fascination which is the new Abod-Zorah, the new paganism, all the fascination with sex, the fascination with sex and drugs and rock and roll and life, the lifestyle of the Goyim. Just cast it aside. If you do that, I'll remove the Yetzirah from humanity. I'll usher in an era of peace um, and unity. And that's what God said. And then in verse 20, says the Yetzirah, what now what he's saying, God's saying, is, and then you'll keep my Torah. Then you have to keep the Torah. Says the Yetzirah, well, obviously you keep, why do we need to be told that? If the Yetzirah has gone, been removed, then obviously you're going to keep the Torah. Why do you need to be told that? That's, it's, it's, it's a double posh it's obvious that, that we're going to keep the Torah. Why do we need to be told? In verse 20, why do you, as verse 20 says, you know, when that happens, when, when there's no Torah anymore, and there's peace on earth, and, and you're the light unto the nations, I'll expect you to keep the Torah, and I expect you to keep all the mitzvahs, and you'll do them all, and then you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. Now, what sort of statement is that? It's completely redundant. If, if the Yetzirah has been removed from the, from the world, then obviously everybody's going to turn to God. There's absolutely no, there's no alternative. There's no Yetzirah, there's no uh, um, uh, uh, evil inclination. There's nothing else in the world that exists other than serving God. So why do you need to be, um, why do you need to be, be told that that's, that's what, the way it's got to be? It, obviously that's the way it's going to be, not the way it's got to be, it's the way it's going to be. So at this point, this is the question that the Abarabhanel asks, and um, listen to the what, he, 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 amazing answer that the Abarabhanel gives here. <coughs> This verse here, verse 20, is not connected, so to speak. It's not connected intrinsically to what went before. This verse 20 is referring to another aspect of the end of days, the resurrection of the dead. Because the world, when the world, not just the Jews, when the world witnessed the great miracles, the wonders that God will do at the time of the ingathering of the exiles, things that we are witnessing in our lifetime, maybe not in our lifetime, but in the lifetime of the last two and a half generations, the return to Zion, the uh, God's providence and protection of the land of Israel, the fact that we're still here, surrounded by five nearly 500 million enemies who who who'd give anything to kill every single Jew here, as the Ramban describes, a a lamb surrounded by 70 wolves, and yet the Jews survive. Says the Barabinel, remember the Barabinel's talking 500 years ago. He can't even imagine the return to Zion that's taken place in our lifetime. He says, when the world witnesses the great miracles, the wonders that God will do at the time of the ingathering of the exiles, and and that that will usher in a period with the miraculous resurrection in which the dead will be restored to life. He said, that's what this posseh is talking about here. He said, Ein When people see that, when people see that, when the world see that, And that's the era we're in now. That's the era we're waiting for. Waiting for the messi- Messiah to arrive and the era of the resurrection of death. He says, then there is no doubt that all human hearts, not just Jewish, that all human hearts will submit and recognize and know that God is God. The Ein Oud Milvada, And there's no one besides him. Says here now, the message of this verse is not aimed at the Jews. Amazing what he says here. The last verses are all aimed at the Jews. God says, this is the deal. I'm going to gather you in at the end of days from all these countries. An impossible task. No one's ever done it before. I'm going to give you back the land of Israel and protect it. You're never going to be thrown out that land again. What I require from you is to turn yourself to me. If you do that, I will bring in an era of peace around the world, the Messianic era, and I will remove the Yetzirah. And then verse 20 about keeping the Torah. Says here Barabunel, verse 20, about keeping the Torah is not about the Jews. The message of this verse is not aimed at the Jews. The message is aimed at the whole of humanity. That when the entire world witnesses the engathering of the exiles and the arrival of the Mashiach and the resurrection of dead, this verse becomes clear. This is how you read this verse. The whole world, not just the Jews, will keep the Torah. And I, God, will be recognized globally as God. Not you will be to me. You, the Jews, will be to me as a people. The whole of humanity will be to me as a people and I will be for them, for the whole of humanity, as a God. All of humanity will be under my wings, and I will be a God for the whole of humanity. That is what this verse is about. And that, says the Abarbanel, if you read through verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, that is the roadmap to the redemption of Israel, and we we, everyone in this year, or everyone who's living in the land of Israel currently, we're right in the middle of that. We're in step three. We're the generation that are here. The onus is on us to make all the other promises that God makes in these uh, ensuing verses, in verses, verse 19 and verse 20, come true. Um, so that, that's the Ababinelli. That's, that's how he said you've got to read this verse. So, um, okay, so I think we'll, we'll stop there. There's, there's, there's one or two more things um, that we need to learn about the H R R because this, this issue here about the HRA being removed is problematic. Um, the idea of the H R R being removed is very problematic because what sort of a world is it going to be when, where people don't have free will? What sort of a world is that? What sort of a world can we expect to live in where you really don't have any choice but to do the right thing. Uh, as the, as the uh, Ramchal, Ramo Shechem Sato points out on a couple of occasions, that actually creates a very boring world. And he actually makes the comments about the next world. The world to come. When we die, we go to a place where there is no evil. There's no evil in front of God. You go into the next world, a place where there's no evil. Ask the Ramchal a question. Isn't that going to be very boring? Isn't that going to be a very, very boring place where you're not tempted to do something a bit naughty, where everybody does exactly as they're supposed to do? What a boring world. The next world, everyone gets up in the morning and davens, everyone eats kosher, everyone eats their breakfast, everyone goes to work, everyone comes home and baths the kids and puts and very sweet to their wives. And takes brings their wives chocolates and flowers for Shabbos, and everything's exactly the same every day and every week. It says the "What a boring life! Who the heck wants to go there?" So this idea of God removing the Eitzarat, so it, it needs to be explained. And um, please God, uh, this verse twenty—we're not finished with verse twenty yet. Um, we'll finish with verse twenty, please God, next week, and. Um, and I don't know what happened to people. We, we we had eleven people here, and then all of a sudden there's the seven. I don't know what happened to people. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the year. We'll pick up from here where we left off. Um, please God, next week we'll have a little bit of a discussion about um, this idea that God's going to remove the H R R from the world. Um, and um, and uh, please God, will I'll see you again in health and happiness. Please God, same time, same. Hello, hello. I can't. Oh, you can't hear you. I can't hear you, Mark. Anyway, I'm going to end the end the shia and um, everyone have a good week. Shavatov, getavoch, and I'll see you same time in health and happiness. Please God, same time, same place next Monday. Call to everybody. Have a great week.